Let's get started. Bottom of the Smash Mountain, Season 1, Episode 31. Locals love. Let's get to the podcast. Tis the beginning of the end. Well, for season one, that is. Not to make anybody panic, I'm not finishing up this podcast anytime soon. (laughs) I wanted to give you a little jump scare before telling you that we are getting to the end of season one shortly. It's going to be this upcoming week that we start season two. So more details at the end of the podcast with our fabulous interview with Fan Chris. I lose my train of thought a few times. I was a little tired Friday night, but you get it. By the way, since talking to Fan Chris a few days ago, we're releasing this today, Sunday, March 13th, 14th. Oh, boy. (laughs) Fan Chris has won yet another tournament that he participated in. So you're going to get to hear one of the hottest players in the local scene by far, and hopefully a player that will make an entrance into the regional slash national spotlight someday. You know, no pressure. And I can't wait for you to hear this interview. It's going to start off a little odd because of Craig audio, but let me just set this up for you. The way that Fan Chris and I started our conversation was about the most recent Raise the Bar event. And for those who don't know, Raise the Bar is the 717 Melee local that is held every week. Shoutouts to Jesse for holding that up. Not me, Jesse. The other Jesse, the 717 Melee TO Meister himself, Jesse. Shoutouts to Jesse for running the Raise the Bar every Sunday night. But anyway, you get it. We start talking about that because it was this past Sunday's Raise the Bar event where I said, whoever wins, I will invite onto the podcast and fan Chris won. So I was trying to set that up and talk about a little bit about the bracket. So you'll hear me kind of get right into it. And so now you know, we were talking about the latest and greatest Raise the Bar event, and there's another one tonight. So if you're listening on March 14th, before 6 o'clock, it's not too late to get in there. Just hop onto the Facebook group or onto the Discord, and you'll be on your way. And let's get to this interview, because I've been building it up long enough. Why is it so quiet? Oh, right, transition. Here we are, bottom of the Smash Mountain, and today... today tonight oh boy i'm so happy to be joined by fan chris central pa's very own fan chris how are you doing i'm doing quite well it's a pleasure to be on yes and taking a look at the bracket you could you could make the argument that it was a little lighter than usual there was one or two faces missing we missed out on young silver trying to challenge you but all the same one very fair and square and i'm so happy to have you on you're like according to jesse like maybe like 10 time in a row champion of raise the bar or something crazy like that does that sound, does that sound right to you yeah yeah i think it's around that at that point <laughs> yeah uh, i've been putting a lot of work into the series like i enjoy it and i you know just i can't even understate how much i appreciate you know the event being ran every week it really gives me something to look forward to. And, you know, it's nice that I have a space to compete with everybody else. I think it's beautiful that we can all push each other to improve. And, you know, we have a great local to kind of support too at the same time. So and it's always I, a pleasure. Mm-hmm. And I, I've, I've, since I've started to do this podcast a little more and becoming a little bit more of aware of what's going on directly around me, I knew that there was stuff happening in Philly and in Pittsburgh, vaguely aware of it. But as I've started to get into this more, I'm like, oh, there is something for Central PA. There is something for Lancaster and 717 in general. This is awesome. And you stood out immediately when I started paying attention. I'm going, so this fan Chris person, that's that's the person to beat, I guess, just based on off of off of the events that I've been able to catch in the past and then seeing the bracket. You you do it. I really appreciate how on your Twitter, and by the way, anyone who's listening, please go drop a follow at FanChris. And your two S's at the end of your tag go into SSBM. So it, the, the two S's are used for both your tag and the SSBM. So it's not four, it's just two S's there. 
it'll be in the description of this podcast. You get it. You post your you post your brackets so that I can very easily follow along with that, and I really appreciate that. But you you definitely are you definitely set the standard for what the skill level could be for for everyone else who's competing competing in these seven one seven events. Yeah. And, you know, I, I always try to go out of my way to practice with everybody because I really believe in the idea that, you know, you have your local scene, but I think instead of competing, I like cooperating. I think every player can learn something from each other, even like discussing the game or anything like that. And I just love the idea of like melee getting so kind of challenging and difficult where, you know, Every every match is so close, you never know who can win. You know, if I'm practicing with somebody, I want them to do well, especially in like my local scene. And I think that reflects because when people watch tournaments, it makes it really exciting. They're like, oh my gosh, like any of these people could take out each other and it gets, you know, really fun that way. So that's the one thing I always try is just encouraging practicing with people before tournaments start and just, you know, trying to get things ready beforehand. I love it. To continue to support is, it's not just a matter of you showing up specifically on Sunday nights and not really being present the rest of the week in between. Instead of that path, you, you go, we should, we should practice and I'd love to do friendlies or, uh, or at least at the very least a friendly session, you know, not just going back and forth and switching characters every single game and, like actual focus practice to kind of help everyone improve and that you still feel like you have things that you can learn even if even if you're occasionally well it it seems like at least in the 717 scape as it stands now i want to give credit to people who have been in the 717 melee scene in the past but as it stands now that you are setting the standard that you are more or less the 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 player to beat but to give you credit, you're not just the player to beat here. You also compete in Smash at Penn State and do pretty well there, if I, if I recall correctly. What are, what are your results like, though? You can speak to that better than I can. Well, I've won recently, I think. Well, we did it. When there was an off season, we had a thing called uh, the Big Voice Chat. And I won pretty much every time. Uh, same thing with like the smash up penn state like recently i've kind of been on a tear i think i've probably taken the last five or six i dropped one recently to j salt but other than that it's it's been pretty consistent for the most part i love to hear that and do you see someone like j mook who played really well for the four loco fight night recently do you see that and go that's going to be me soon? Or do you just really try to pay attention to what you're specifically doing and not look around you too much? I I try to look kind of at what I'm doing because like for me, if I have a specific goal in mind, like, oh, like uh, I had a hard time against this player. I usually focus around like, oh, like I shouldn't be preparing for this player, but I should be getting better at just the matchup. Because the character never changes, uh, but the player can. So I like kind of tackling it from that perspective. If I learn the character and I know what beats it entirely, then learning what the player does is like a small like portion of that that I can always pick up as I'm going along. Because there are enough melee players out there. Even uh, Well, I guess I could say especially on the East Coast, but... If you enter in these other events, not just the ones that are here in Pennsylvania, but hosted online tournaments in other parts of the East Coast, you'll, you'll come across players that you may not have played before, or at the very least, that you haven't played consistently. And so you mm-hmm. can get thrown off by the fact that they're going about it slightly differently. But like you said, the character never changes. That's an interesting perspective. I... I don't know how much I've thought about it myself just because I don't I don't I'm not active in in playing but I like that perspective because it is true the character never changes but I guess you you buy into that easier than than somebody else saying oh just 
you know, you know, get get the get good versus the character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's it's taken me a long time to kind of like in a lot of discussion with my uh my one friend Lems, he basically like taught taught me how to play Falco and we both kind of picked up the game and college at the same time. So, you know, we we talk a lot, we kind of go back and forth and we've kind of come to this idea that yeah, like, you know, just stick with what the character does. Like, if you try to work in a way where you, like, study VODs and you're like, I know how to beat this one person, you never know if what they're doing is going to change. And I kind of like coming into every match just thinking, this is a blank slate, and whatever I'm going to see is, like, what I'm going to work with. I don't want to make any assumptions. Not to put too much stock into studying VODs, and looking for habits specifically, but I've heard enough people talk about that, that it seems as if that's a possibility. And it, I guess it depends on what level you're referring to, because at a low enough level, the person is just playing in a way that they feel most comfortable playing. And so that's easier. In my mind, it seems like it would be easier to grasp how that person plays because their options are more limited but mm -hmm. the higher up you go the more mix-ups become a factor so is that what you think of when when looking at how somebody else plays or how you play you're thinking this yeah. this this just changes because of how aware that player is that they're being studied as well yeah exactly and it says that's the thing like the higher up you go sometimes you're like did he mean to roll there like was that a habit maybe did he panic or did he roll in that location because he's trying to condition me to think that that's going to be the way the match is going to kind of go you know i i kind of learned a little thing that i've been trying to like reinforce mentally where it's like the first time could have been an accident or, you know, could just be a happenstance thing. If they do it twice, then I'm going to start looking and paying attention a little bit more. And then if they do it three times, it's a habit. Like, and I try to find little things like that, little patterns that kind of help me along uh, when I'm playing somebody for the first time or, you know, in a given session. And, you know, just like you said, like, if someone's really aware of that and they're noticing that they're losing on that layer at a higher level, they're going to change it completely, which is why I think it's much harder to study for specific players. Because sometimes a habit or a weakness that you think you can abuse against them could be what they want you to kind of fall for, could be a little trap in a way. It reminds me of the NFL where there's a certain amount of gaming the system this, this is probably not the right way to say it but i know that there have been some there's been a lot of push towards analytics across any competition it doesn't matter what it is but when i think of the nfl i think about how there are teams that will run certain plays in parts of the game where they're doing it to actually put it on film to throw off their next opponent or the divisional opponents that they have to play twice a year. So it's sort of along that line where if the player in melee is good enough, they might be thinking, I have this set in hand. Maybe I'm going to do a couple of stupid things just to throw the next person off if I come across... And I, it, I guess that matters more for a, a really big tournament where I there were the most effort and not practice. Uh, what's the word? <laughs> preparation. Sorry, where preparation is most important. But I, I did see that you were in four loco fight night bracket, but you uh, had to quit out a little bit early. You were you were busy that Sunday. You were competing in a, a few events, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I ended up having to head out a bit early, but I was in Smash at Penn State and Four Loco at the same time, like you mentioned. Uh, but with the way Four Loco was kind of like scheduled, I had something planned for the rest of the night. So I just figured, oh, like, it's fine. Like, I got a lot of practice out of it. You know, I'm not going to kind of treat it so seriously if something kind of came up. Um, and then I just kind of said, all right, I'm just going to put all of my energy and attention into just finishing out uh, the Smash Up Penn State bracket. So that's what I did. How do you just 
decide that though i i i think to myself that the bigger the the bigger the tournament the the harder it is to walk away i i felt bad for ibdw who uh, had to drop out of the four loco finite himself for one reason or another you can look it up on twitter if you really want to know but more or less had to had to drop out that must be so hard to do yeah and i i think it's something that you know everyone kind of takes differently uh, the way I've been kind of framing it lately is that I always have another tournament or another day and it's not, you know, it may hurt to kind of walk away or have to like drop out of an event early or even if you just don't do well, you know, like you, you train for a while, but maybe like it just doesn't work out. Um, but, you know, I th- I think there's a quote that Mango kind of said that kind of like rings true for me where it's like, there's always more melee to be played. And even if like somebody upsets you in pools, maybe you don't make it out of the big bracket that day. Um, or even if something comes up, you know, cause life does happen uh, as long as you're willing to, you know, to say like, Oh, it's fine. Like I can play better tomorrow. I can improve more tomorrow. And, you know, just realizing that that specific day, like, it's over, you know, it's in the, it's in the, it's in the books. You don't have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah. And I appreciate hearing that perspective. It's something that, that can apply to the other parts of life. Like when I think about the possibility of bringing on a person for an interview for the podcast, I go, I, I have to do everything I possibly can to make it happen. But then I have to remind myself, wait, no. Okay. Within reason, I can't just stop everything that else in in life in order to to make something happen i have to advocate for myself as well i think that your perspective is one that like it, it seems it seems really healthy to me no one oh, hopefully no one is questioning your your dedication because you put a lot of time into melee and at, you, you, that's not the only thing you're doing you have you have a job as well but that's really cool to hear i wanted to ask you about the about this tournament that you won at Raise the Bar Sunday night and about the opponent who you faced in grand finals. Shout outs to Hoborg for making it even though you had met in winner's final, that was that was three one in your favor, and then Hoborg gets back to grand finals but still loses three to one. The Luigi is really nice. Hoborg's got a great Luigi. Do you oh, enjoy do you enjoy playing that matchup or what are, what are your what are your thoughts on that specifically against Luigi? So funnily enough, like him and Sidward were like one of like they were they were both matchups that I struggled with for a long time. And like you can ask Coburg himself, but like when I would go down to state college to compete there, he always gave me the hardest time. And it was one day where I was just like, you know what? Like, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to figure out how this matchup works. And I'm just going to try my hardest every single time to, uh, you know, bring out what I can. So, you know, it took me a long time. Even when I was competing in LAN, uh, I couldn't always consistently do it. But we practiced together for a while. Um, and it honestly helped out a lot. I mean, I studied VODs on the matchup. I ended up just practicing with any Luigi I could find. And yeah, and even still, you know, it's nice, uh, because our sets are always close (laughs) there. I mean, not all of the time, but usually they're always kind of neck and neck if I'm not playing perfectly. And I to to what I saw from the from the matchup. I didn't get to watch the entire event, but I, watching Hoborg play was like the the missile is always seemingly perfectly placed. I I was just like blown away by the consistency of that because I think to myself, well, eventually you know got to miss, yeah, it, not just the misfire, but like as in you accidentally get back onto stage and the the whole landing lag of the forward B or too low but like always seems to be perfectly placed just out of reach but can get to the ledge that was something that stood out to me right away but uh, but also just knowing the character really well controlling really well 
Yeah, I'd say out of all the Luigi's, like, he definitely plays the matchup in a very interesting way. Like, he's very, he knows how to, like, play safe when he has to, but I think out of all the Luigi's I've ever played against, his recovery is by far, like, ahead of the curve. Like, he definitely has it down to a science, and it's always hard. I'm never entirely sure if I'm going to edge guard him properly, so that's always a cool thing to see. And to talk about your, your, you, you're a Falco main now, is that, is that safe to say? I mean, I see you play Fa- Falcon occasionally, but it seems to be mostly Falco, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a bird main, true and true. I love that. Do you fire too many lasers or too few lasers? I, you know, that's always an interesting perspective. I feel like lately I've been kind of cutting down how many lasers I shoot, but it, I think it is dependent on matchup. Because uh, I will shoot a lot more lasers against like a Jigglypuff or like a Peach. Um, but if I do end up getting a bit nervous like later into a set, I tend to shoot a lot of lasers, uh, and sometimes it kind of gets me in trouble because I'll just like give them like openings on me because I'm just like shooting my gun like crazy. Uh, but I I've been working on trying to reduce it, you know, to shooting ones that matter more than just you know kind of throwing out everything I can. <laughs> and is is the the laser height is that a real thing that? that a top Falco player can actually consider and observe in, in, in real time, I guess. Like, to me, it looks the same more often than not. But again, mm-hmm. I'm not playing on a regular enough basis to actually know. But that is something that actually matters. Can you just give at least, maybe not a super, super specific situation, but maybe in a matchup, why laser height might matter? Yeah, of course. So low lasers are the hardest to power shield. They're very low to the ground and they're going to cut off people that dash or try to like crouch under you. Mid lasers like and high lasers, they're easy to power shield and that can kind of, you know, work against you in some cases. Like if a Marth like dashes towards you or a Fox dashes towards you and they like power shield your laser back. Um, But high lasers are really amazing because they can cut off jumps. Uh, they can stop people from leaving the ground, and if someone like, let's say a Captain Falcon tries to do a neutral air off of the side platform, if you shoot a laser right as he's like falling, you can hit him with a follow-up nair or like a down air, and you can get a really good combo out of it. Uh, but I think you're mostly going to see people choosing to shoot low lasers like if they're playing a jigglypuff and the puff is like low to the ground and they're trying to like crouch under the laser that's a pretty pretty common situation that happens uh so it's like i don't want them to power shield it i want to hit them on the ground and you know i have to shoot a very low laser to hit a crouched jigglypuff and i know that this is not like a 100 to 0 matchup. I just know that Falcon tends to struggle against Fo- uh, Falco, excuse me. I was going to mm-hmm. say Fox. Oof. <laughs> uh it struggles against Falco. And it's mostly because of the lack of out of shield options as I understand it, but from your perspective, why do you think a certain Falcon, be it one of the the top players like Wizro Best to J none can beat a high level Falco player. Like what do you see when you watch those matches when you see a Falcon beat a Falco? I would say the biggest thing that separates like the low mid from like the highest level Falcon players is they're out of shield and they're like out of hit stun options. Uh I played against Gatsu not too long ago and it was something I had never even seen or like was aware of but it was just something that just kind of naturally happens at that level uh so some captain falcon players they will get hit by the laser intentionally and then they'll dash back and then come in with a neutral air or some form of hitbox if they're like trying to win the ground but there is like another layer above that which i think a lot of the great falcons are really good at uh 
so instead of like getting hit on the ground and then moving what they'll do instead is that they'll hop they'll short hop and neutral air and as the laser hits them they will double jump out of the laser hit stun and what happens is that you have falcon in the air right and falco says to himself oh my goodness i have hit my laser and i'm going to come in with a hitbox like because that's what usually happens like they're like oh i the laser hit i'm just gonna go right in i'm gonna get my opening but because falcon is now above them they can do like a stomp on the location where falco enters and it happens so fast that like most players aren't gonna be aware of what happened they're gonna be like oh my gosh like how did he get in like what what went wrong with my pressure and you know oh yeah no worries sorry i thought no go ahead (laughs) And, you know, I think it's a mixture of that. If they're really good out of, like, hit stun, if they're able to double jump consistently out of hit stun to, like, side platforms, or they're able to do those, like, type of how-to-shield options, I think that's what separates, you know, the good Falcon players that are going to give a hard time to the higher-level birds. That's so interesting to hear, because a Falcon using the double jump on stage... And I guess this would really only matter more in a high percentage situation getting knocked off, then there's no double jump. But if you play it right, I you know, then that doesn't really matter because you get your opening. The the Falco gives you the opening and they're thinking, wait, why am I being hit? That's because you 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 let yourself get hit if you like if you think about it that way. That's yeah. interesting to hear. Yeah, that that's that's pretty much like when I when I played him that pretty much ended up happening a couple of times and it wasn't until like i like talked to my friend lems and he was like hey like you know i I told him hey i'm having trouble with this like i'm not sure what's going on he's like getting in on me i don't know really what's going on and he kind of sat down with me watched the vod again and he kind of just slow motion through that sequence and it was like oh I've never seen anybody do that before. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing, but you know, live and learn. Well, you're only yeah, exactly. You have to just continue to go through all those millions and millions of situations that melee can offer, and and just go through that millions and millions of times or so, something like that, right? <laughs> Pretty they, much. They no one's lying when they say it takes years to get good. So to Anyone who's listening to this, who has listened to other interviews that I've done before, they're like, why are we talking about Ban Chris's origin story? We're going to get into that now, if that's all right with you. And we'll, we'll go back to the present for a few more, few more questions, if that's all right with you. Yeah, of course. So when did you get started playing Melee? Well, in college, I basically... Well, even before that, I do remember playing when the game kind of first came out i was at a gamestop like little like release and it's like the earliest memory i have i ended up playing bowser uh against like three other random people on corneria and i just like i don't even know what buttons i was pressing back then i don't even think i knew anything about the game but i was like oh my god like bowser's crazy good i was just like going nuts on them you know, this this little kid just like dumpstering people with Bowser. Um and in college I ended up getting into like Project M first, because that was pretty popular when I first started playing. Uh but one day a good friend of mine brought down a CRT, like he brought down a full melee setup, and I basically ended up starting to play melee my freshman year after that point. I kind of just liked the movement a lot better. Um, and my friend Lambs ended up going to the big house, uh, my second year into college. So he told me about like, oh, there's like this thing called dash dancing that people are doing, which is really cool. And he talked about meeting Mewtwo King and some other players. So, you know, ever since then, I've kind of been hooked and invested in the community. And you were you weren't the one going to the big house, if I understood correctly, or or did you go to a big house after your friend says, "Yeah, the well, the one last year was so cool. I got to like go and meet these players, and and there's so many Smash people there." Or 
what was that part again? Yeah, so he ended up going. I had a, exams that week, and his his schedule was a bit better than mine, so I couldn't end up making it out. Um, mm. How I've many? Always, how, oh yeah. No, sorry, I was going to ask how many majors uh, or which ones did you go to that you remember going to, but you can keep going before you get to that if you want. Yeah, so I've always wanted to go to a melee major, um, and I've been to like Smash Valley before. I mean, those are more of a regional event, but. Uh, when the pandemic happened like prior i had planned to go to actually go to the big house for the first time you know and just do that for a couple of days uh because i had recently gotten a car around that point and i was like oh great like i'm practicing again like you know i have a car now so i can drive down but then the pandemic kind of hit and that kind of threw everything to the wayside <laughs> but uh I've been able to like do stuff like the Frame Perfect series. Um, and I think I registered or competed in Frostbite at one point. And the Big House Online and Gommel Online, I was able to get into. But uh, I'm really excited for when things kind of come back, you know, because I really want to attend the LAN for just to meet up and see the homies, you know. Of course, absolutely. And the fact that you haven't been able to get out to a melee major is not a not a diss to you it i know it doesn't make you feel any better to hear this i've i haven't been to a melee major either but you know the difference between, <laughs> between my level of commitment to melee and yours that definitely higher on your end so maybe that doesn't help you feel better but i hope that you're able to go to some of the melee majors that are closer to over here and then we're we're we're, we're northeast right like pennsylvania is northeast it's yeah. like the very lowest part, but it is northeast, right? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, so Shine and Pound, the SmashCon when it's in Virginia, and and Big House, like those are all like reasonable car trips. Like uh, Big House is a little bit further away, or even Smash and Splash, like could be possible. It's Wisconsin, if I recall correctly, but it would be. It is going to be really cool when IRL events eventually return whichever ones do that for the majors like i i absolutely want to go to one uh and go zero and two and then spend the rest of the time getting hype for top eight but and hopefully seeing people like in the, in the community that i've either interacted with on the interwebs or have seen in person before but it limited because i i never actually went to any tournaments before the pandemic started it's one of my big regrets yeah, I, I get that entirely. But I think, you know, even though, like, this is, like, a kind of unfortunate time, because I'm sure there was a lot of plans that were, you know, put by the wayside, I th I think it's still nice that, you know, now I feel like people are a lot more communicative with each other. Like, what used to be, like, the local scenes just kind of staying with, like, themselves. Like, there's been a lot of intermeshing. Like, new people have been coming in. It's been a lot easier for people to get into the game. I could argue, you could argue to a good degree, since it's all online now. It's pretty public facing, and not that it wasn't before, but like anybody could just open up Discord and maybe they'll see a melee tournament on Twitch, you know, and they'll watch a top eight and say, "Oh, like that was really cool. Like, what what game is this? How do I get involved?" And you know, it's so much easier now since a lot of it was kind of forced to go to the forefront, if that makes sense. A little bit, yeah. I I think that hmm, I think that the the there's been a lot of there have been a lot of things that have changed with the with the pandemic. A, a lot of things that that happened in in 2020. But I think I think that one lesson learned. Um, as it pertains to online events, uh, the first go around, the first batch of online events that happened were without rollback. They were still the delay based netcode. And then Fizzy uh, dropping one of the biggest things to ever happen to Melee, getting rollback netcode in last June, in June of 2020, made everybody go, can we actually do these sort of online events? afterwards because to my knowledge there were hardly any online events held 
in the pre-pandemic era, if you wanted to go to a local, they would be in person, regionals in person, majors in person. But I think that a lot of people, and I guess myself included, uh, seem to think that online is still going to be at least part of the picture after in-person events come back, after they return. Not that every local scene in every region is going to specifically be online only. I think even for at the local level, a lot of people will be like, yeah, we got to have these in person again once it's safe. But I think that's one of the big changes as well, where you had online events not really being so much of a thing. And now they're, it seems like they're going to stick around moving forward. Yeah. And I, I think it's, that's a good way to go about it. Um, I mean, it, it would, it would be kind of, it would hurt to see online go away. And I think it's nice that, you know, if we can work towards a nice middle ground in between where it's like, maybe sometimes there's online qualifiers or maybe even something as simple, like a big event is happening, like a super major, and maybe they have an online component that says like, Oh, the top two or three players will get like you know flown into this event i think that could be a good kind of in between what do you think of the idea of having an online qualifier for seating because i think that's one (laughs) that seems to be a big meme hey my seating's not right (laughs) are you want your seating (laughs) to be better then you got to play well in this qualifying seating online event for this super major yeah i i think that could be i think that could be pretty fair you know, and I think, like, given the current, like, landscape of, like, people's, like, hardware and stuff, like, I know there's the big thing up to debate still is, like, oh, like, is online legit? Like, some people kind of still question that. But I think if you have proper hardware and, like, as long as you're connected with a good internet connection, I mean, unless you're playing with, like, over 120-plus ping with somebody, it's it's pretty much about the same to a degree. Uh, there's very little that changes. So, yeah, I I would say that's a, that's a fair way to go about it. You know, if, if you want to complain about your seed, then put in the work and make get yourself a better seed. I, I always am down for competition and anything that kind of inspires that, so... I, I support that method. <laughs> uh, obviously, players like Mango and Zane probably don't need to play in that sort of event, but it can be, maybe it can just be a ladder night where for six hours, and it would be probably have to be region locked, to your point, somebody might have an average internet connection, and as long as they don't have to go cross-country, it'll stay under 100 ping or 120. But then if you try to go from Pennsylvania to, like, Arizona, it might start to get a little sketchy. So maybe yeah. you still maybe you still have to lock it somehow, but maybe it doesn't have to be a double elimination bracket. Maybe it can be a ladder bracket, and then that just kind of produces your ranking right there. This person won the most amount of sets in this ladder time period and going down the line. But I, there, there are much smarter people than me. I'm just spitballing here, and I am not a tournament organizer. <laughs> I'm just enjoying hearing your perspective because you're, you're sort of like the, I don't want to call you the up and coming player. I just, I just feel like you, the way that you're working and practicing and showing a lot of skill at the game, maybe we'll, we'll see. I don't want to put too much pressure on you just yet, but you, you are still nonetheless a player who participates in online tournaments regularly and and helps out with 717 Melee in particular, so thank you for that. But I love hearing your perspective on, well, all the things that we've talked about so far, so I appreciate it. Oh, it's been a pleasure. (laughs) So let's see. I guess I wanted to also ask you about whether or not you've considered things like Diet Melee, things like box controllers, things like, I don't know, the overclocked, controller stuff there, there there are a lot of or to me it feels like there are a lot of different things that you can consider when first getting into the online world of slippy and melee mm-hmm. from me i'm going to eventually be able to consider these things but for now i have no internet so i'm sort of on the ground if you will or at the bottom of the smash mountain but yeah i 
I'm, I'm looking at all these different things you can do to try to make it all happen. Did it feel overwhelming to you at all? Or did you sort of just add in one thing at a time or look at one thing at a time and go from there? I, I feel like I tried to keep up to date with it like pretty often. So like when the controller like polling fix came out that like overclocked it, like at first I was a little bit like skeptical, like, Oh, like, you know, what is this? I haven't seen this before, you know, especially like going back to wait the way that like we didn't have rollback before, like that type of thing wasn't really like on the table at all. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people in the community kind of rallied behind it and eventually ended up becoming kind of a new standard or a new, like, normal for people to have that fix. Um, but even with, like, box controllers, too, like, I I think it can be really overwhelming. Um, and since I've, like, kind of been around the community for, like, a couple of years, I saw, like, you know, the advent of them slowly coming, like hacks making his controller and then like the smash box and other iterations um i think the thing now is like how many people are getting box controllers there's there's been a pretty good amount of people getting into it um even like the different options i think are great uh with like the frame one as well uh which leffen's been kind of messing with and using on a stream uh and you know i think it's nice because we have so many options now. Like if your hands hurt when you play, that's fine. Like you can get a box controller and that'll fix the issue for you. Whereas before, you know, you didn't really have that type of thing. Um, same thing. Like recently I bought a goom wave controller, which is like one of the newer things kind of coming out. Um, I don't know if, if you're like too familiar with that specifically, but, um, new motherboard or compact like can be changed around right yeah yeah exactly yeah so i i'm pretty much of that uh mindset of if everybody or if people are gonna get these controllers over time or anyway like i want to make sure i'm not kind of left behind in that aspect like you know and i i think it's fine as long as like competitively it's legal then i think it's just a matter of you know do you want to take the game seriously enough where you feel like dropping like 150 to 200 dollars depending on what type of controller you get um you know will just make it better for you cuz i don't I think... want to have anybody feel like that they automatically have to spend 200 dollars on a controller there is sorry there are alternatives if you feel so led i want to give a shout out to crane who is a big keyboard box style controller meister i guess released a few videos onto youtube if you look up frame one compared to the box review something like that and then also released a diy box style controller that you can assemble for like less than fifty dollars if you if you already have other pieces of equipment and tools or whatever so if you don't have a toolbox you probably are gonna have to get one of those too but yeah <laughs> uh, uh, but like the like the the the, the switches and like you literally made it where the buttons were all glued onto cardboard, more or less. That's me not summarizing it well, but that's what I mean by a true low-budget DIY-style controller. So DIY, excuse me. You can look that sort of stuff up if you want to. It's on Crane's YouTube channel. Just look up DI, no, DIY Frame 1 box-style controller. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's just, it's so incredible that, you know, we have a community that's, like, willing to, like, draft these things down, like, figure out, oh, like, how can we make controllers that are not even, you know, ergonomic, but affordable, too, because I think that's a big barrier to entry in the community that I, I think some people kind of talk about, but not everybody, just the idea of the controller lottery, you know, I think that's a really kind of difficult point for, like, a newcomer as well. And I, I get nervous about it because I know I don't have a good GameCube controller. So I go, am I, when I get 
online and I start playing on Slippy, should I just try to start from scratch? Because I'm, I'm not really that great of a player, so maybe I could start from scratch with a box-style controller and maybe learn how to stretch my hands properly. That might also be a good idea, but we'll see. I'm pretty lazy about it. <laughs> and then also considering that there are different GameCube controller options out there, and if Panda ever releases this supposed Savior of Mankind style controller. We'll see what that ends up looking like. No pressure to the Panda team, though. You know, I'm just excited to see what it is once you release more details and actually drop it to the public. <laughs> but you're right, there are a lot of different options, and it's almost that to the point where it feels a little overwhelming that there aren't a lot of centralized resources where you can just point and say, you know what, if you're interested in checking that out, go ahead and go over there. Although I do want to give a shout out to Bleppy.gg. David V. Kimball did it, has done a great job of trying to put as much of this stuff, all of this kind of stuff together under one website where you can just go to and see this is where you get the game so that you can then legally make backup files and then you get slippy here and then you overclock your controller and pull fixing here and like to, to try to put all that stuff together the more we have of things like that the easier it starts to sound to someone who's either like me that wants to potentially start playing and get involved or if someone's just like what's this melee game i mean i know what ultimate is but why does everybody talk about melee if they see this stuff where it's like here it's it's going to require a little bit of work on your end but it's worth it trust me that would be a better step than just it being i don't i don't even know where to <laughs> what do you mean i have to go on ebay <laughs> yeah yeah it's like what do you mean i have to buy a crt like those old things <laughs> <laughs> and it depends on the area but like they they're still crts uh occasionally i see a crt on the side of the road and i think to myself should i pick that up but then another shout out boy i'm just full of those tonight jdmh has a great youtube series if you look up jdmh has had on a few different a few different people to talk about a subject of in regards to leaning away from crts in the future when irl events do come out what would you think of a tournament series be at a local or regional super major where they say we're using monitors we're not using crts like what's the what's the first thing that comes to your head when you think of that so kind of before the pandemic i actually got to do a uh, tournament a smash at the laboratory it's like relatively near philadelphia and they actually switched over to monitors completely uh, you know and I, I feel like it's it's pretty good. I mean, I wanted to also try out like going to Hax's nightclub and seeing what their setup was like. I think if you have it just right, I think it feels pretty much the same. Uh, but I don't know. There's something just nostalgic and charming about the CRTs that I feel like I would be sad if they went away, you know? Whether it's like you walk into the venue and you hear that like kind of soft ringing noise in the background of the CRT <laughs> yeah. one, you know, it's like it's like it's hard to replace that type of feeling. That makes sense. No one's gonna have a speaker just for that sound to ring out. Though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, usually you hear that, and then the Dreamland salt like song just from like <laughs> ten miles away. You're like, oh yeah, I'm in the right place. This is definitely <laughs> the Smash venue. <laughs> <laughs> do you think that it's like the that that idea of when does melee no longer feel like melee because one of the best things to ever happen to melee in my opinion and this this is just me talking was that brawl was so different from melee and i think a few different players have said this i know hugs 86 said this at some point where he said, if Ultimate was the game after Melee, I would have switched and never gone back to Melee. And I'm like, wow, that's a bit of a strong take. But it, it is true. Brawl had tripping and the defensive mechanics like shielding and everything else were just really overpowered and everything else. And it was so different from Melee. It still caused a divide 
between people who liked Brawl and wanted to just move on from Melee and then the people who were saying, no, we're, we're Melee ride and die sort of a mentality. But that ultimately, I think, helped because of how different the two games were. Mm-hmm. But now we're talking about when does Melee sort of fade away of its original, of its original spirit the, the what you can see so clearly in like the smash documentaries and all the amazing content all the amazing players the big house nine such an amazing tournament mango over zane sorry zane and do you lose that when you start to chip away at the quote-unquote original the original setup the crt the gamecube controller the gamecube itself because you know you switch to a wii because there was so much more common and you could do stuff with SD cards and everything. I, you know, I'm droning on. I should let you hop in here. What do you think about uh, when when Melee changes from what originally was into something that actually does feel different? I, don't, I feel I feel like in the same way, like you can you can change some details, but I still feel like at the end of the day, melee is still melee like even if it's played on a different setup even if it's played on like a different planet or anything that you can like change and like even the finer details i still feel like as long as it like this mango kind of says it as long as there's one person who wants to be better and wants to be like the best and there's someone else who says no like i want to be the best i think you know, no matter what you changed, I think the spirit is still there. I think it's, you know, transcended beyond the point of like the game, and it's kind of come into the community, if that makes sense. And would you say that that's one of your long-term goals to be the best, or what would you say a long-term goal for you is, not just I, something that's within the next month, if if that makes sense? I've been working on like a little secret pet project uh, in my spare time, but. Uh, I want to try to help get the average like Falco player better. Like I, I, I think there's a lot of information that is not easily found, like unless you're willing to pay for like lessons and then like sit through hours of VODs to kind of figure stuff out that way. Um, so I think in the long, long term, I'd like to try to go for top 100. But I think for now, I want to really work on improving myself and my level of play in every aspect and then try to give that information that helped me out to other players. Because, you know, I I think there's a lot that comes out of, you know, people that want to improve themselves. And, you know, if I could share that information that made me successful and kind of help give that to other people, then I think that would be great. That sounds a little bit along the lines of of like a coaching scenario, although you probably consider it to be slightly different. But I guess while we're talking about the the idea of making the average player better and helping them with resources and everything else, what were some things that were helpful to you when you first got started, when you would have considered yourself just the, the average one and two, two and two type Falco player. So like I read a lot of Smashboards posts. Uh it's kinda of like most people do when they first get started. I want I read a lot of stuff about like uh PPMDs like post about Falco and like trying to conceptualize that, which is it's a tall order for a complete beginner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I had that same experience too, like when I played um Sheik for the first time, you know, people were like, Oh, like if you want to get better at Sheik, just watch other Sheiks. So naturally I'm like, Oh, who's a good Sheik? Mewtwo King is a good Sheik. And then I watch like five seconds and I'm just like, No, I I can't even figure out why this is working. <laughs> Um, but you know, what kind of helped me was, uh, like drugs Fox, he has a Patreon where like he posts all of his like coaching lessons with like top players, like ginger and, you know, stuff like that. Um, 
and you know kind of when the pandemic happened uh i just decided one month i was just like all right i'm gonna sit down uh when i when i'm like free and i'm just gonna watch one or two lessons a day and that was where i started noticing that it was helping out a lot um and it you know it's it's a lot of work i mean to sit down and like listen to like an hour-long like analysis type thing um but I think that's what helps me a, a ton. Uh, what I'm kind of trying to do is take that, but turn it into like, like a, I've been working with like WebMs and like my like video editing programs I have and trying to put them in bite-sized chunks that are easy to follow, both like visually and same with like text too. So um, that's what I'm trying to work towards, at least in my spare time. That's really cool. I'm happy to hear that you're not only trying to take it all for yourself and go for top 100 Sunday, but also to give back. That is really, really cool to hear. So can't wait to see that at some point in the future. But like you said, you have more than just the one thing that you have in, in life. Did you want to talk at all about the the non-Smash side of things, like of how helpful it is to go to college or something. I don't know. I mean, I never went to college, so I have my own feelings about it. But like, uh, what has helped you to continue to be able to allow your passion for Melee thrive? I I think a big thing for me in college was meeting people that, I mean, I still hang out with today. Like I met a lot of my like best friends through it. Um, and, you know, I joined a gaming club, uh, and I still hang out with all my friends from that club, you know, on Discord and stuff nowadays, since we have the social distance. Um, you know, and even then, like, I think the thing I got and understood from college, like, the program I had was really nice, and, like, you know, all of that is nice. Um, but I think the thing that I learned was that, you know, you kind of have to start out as a beginner. Like, you have to be willing to kind of say, like, I'm will, I'm, I'm going to be okay being bad at something because I know I'll get better. And I think that's kind of what college taught me was like learning how I learn. And because I figured it out, like, not just there, but with other things in my life, um, it's kind of given me this like perspective of like, oh, you know. If I'm like learning how to like hike a difficult trail, you know, maybe the first time I try it and I like fail miserably, but there's always a lesson, you know, there's always something I can do better. So that's that's kind of what helped me out with college. That's kind of what I learned from my experience. I'm glad to hear that it was something that actually was a a very positive experience for you because <laughs> I picture myself and high school about going to college because you know as you know that is something that people just go where are you going to college and stuff and I, I just pictured myself failing because I hated school so I thought how can this get better isn't it harder yeah. in college or something but for you it, it sounded like it was a really awesome thing and it wasn't just the oh yeah I like learning or I learned how to learn it was also the community aspect of it and that's something that you that you see not just from a schooling perspective but also from the melee perspective that that's also a big deal there to have a community of people who enjoy the game or a community of people who are college students where we're doing all that but we also have this gaming club so come on in that, that yeah that's really cool to hear uh you've been very generous with your time i wanted to run one more question by you if that's all right with you oh yeah of course appreciate it wanted to ask you of what you think of Melee 2021, where it's going. Like, what, what comes to mind when you think of that? We've talked a little bit about it, but I just want to hear from whatever perspective comes to mind for you when you think of the rest of 2021 Melee. I think it's going to be a very interesting year. I think it's going to be... There's going to be a lot of players that you wouldn't really not inherently expect 
but I think there's going to be a lot more competition coming to the higher like levels of the game. Ooh, fan uh, Chris, let's go. <laughs> well, not not even just me. I I mean, I think every day people are getting better and it's getting harder to like, you know, I think it's just constant like kind of rate like the skill ceiling and the skill floor just shooting up every week because people are like grinding really hard they're practicing with each other and you know i think if people are at the top level aren't like keeping up that consistent effort i think you know there's gonna be people right underneath them just waiting for their you know day in the sun so yeah i i think it's gonna be a very exciting year i'm i'm really interested in to see how the game kind of shifts with the different controller options that are going to become more accessible to people and you know it's a lot of players that i know are like grinding like crazy that i'm always rooting for whenever you know majors are happening so i think it'll be an interesting and challenging year and with that i think that's that's a that's a wrap on what we have i think that all the things that we've gotten into, it's been a great conversation. I've really appreciated having you on and it's been a blast. I wanted to give you an opportunity to give yourself the, the plugs that you want to plug your, your Twitter and Twitch, that sort of thing. Yeah. So I, I stream pretty often at twitch.tv slash BE three gaming. Um, I'm usually on there. I try to try to do a couple streams a week. Uh, I'm going to be doing a third strike tournament on the 20th uh, for Raise the Bar, and I'm probably going to stick with my girl, Ibuki, because she's really fun and really challenging to play. Uh, so I'll probably be streaming that as well. Um, I wanted to give a huge shout out to 717 Melee, of course. I mean, I, I can't thank them enough for all of the uh, events that you've had in the past. And, you know, just keeping the scene alive, it's been so great of an opportunity. Uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to, you know, just the homies as well. Uh, ben Snape, we've been practicing so much and he's been helping me learn a lot with the game. Uh, my boy Lems, uh, he's been giving me great advice on Falco and just stuff in general. Um, Hoborg. Thank you so much for being a great competitor over the years, and I'm looking forward to more of our sets in 2021. And, uh, you know, my girlfriend, uh, Lumino, she's probably my biggest coach, honestly. <laughs> she she helps my mental so much and always, you know, gives me great advice every day after I'm done playing, so definitely couldn't have done it without her. And, you know, my friends DRC and Quinstone, uh, we all kind of picked up the game at the same time. And, you know, even though uh, they're kind of doing different things, we still have a great time when we get back to it. So it's pretty much all I can think of. And to the rest of you, you know who you are. <laughs> it's been great to have you on, Fan Chris. It's great to hear the, the support systems that you have. And uh, that's so that's it. To me, it means that there's there's nothing but bright things ahead that having the people that you can compete against to be motivated to improve yourself and them at the same time. The lady, of course, uh, to be a coach, not just in, in a game sense, but in a life sense as well. All the homies, that's so cool to hear. And with that, I think that's all I got. So, Fan Chris, thank you so much for coming on to Bottom of the Smash Mountain. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Why is it so quiet? Oh, right, transition. Before we get going here, I have a special shout-out that I would like to make to my lovely wife, Jen. Today is her birthday. Happy birthday, Jen. I love you. Thank you so much for supporting me on my podcast. It means the world to me. You have been a three-time guest, so hoping to get you some more as we go into Season 2. And oh! That's right. I did want to talk to you about season two. Oh, but before I do that, I forgot to mention it was Smash at Penn State, the most recent saps that Fan Chris won. He won that last night, Saturday night. Now, about season two, it drops 
Thursday. That's right. March 18th, Thursday, is when Season 2 drops. New music, new cover art. Super excited about the guests that we have for the first of Season 2, the first episode of Season 2. We're going to have one or two more episodes between now and then, so I'm excited about those as well. It's all gravy. I'm excited to get on anyone who's willing to talk to me. <laughs> but of course, I thought, you know, might as well make season 2 be a little bit of a a little bit of a bang if you will, a little bit of an exciting like, ooh, you got that person. Maybe I'm hyping up too much. I'm personally very excited. Anyone that I talked to, I was so excited to talk to Fan Chris and I'm glad that you were able to stick it through the whole interview and now listen to me ramble on and go, I would like to hear your child talking about linguistic specialists now. All right, that's fair. Let's get you out of here. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. How about that? What does the cow say? Moo. Moo. Good job. What does the kitty cat say? Ow. Good job. What does the doggy say? Woof. Woof, woof. Good job. Can you say linguistic specialist? Say. Good job. That was a good try. Can you say outside? Outside. Do you want to go outside? Okay. Okay. Can you say bye-bye? Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.